It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's race week, the first of 21 this year. This is indeed the Crash Moto GP podcast. The recording date is Monday, the 28th of February. My name is Harry Benjamin. Alongside me, Crash Moto GP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan. Coming up, new red flag sporting rules announced. Suzuki finally reveal a team manager. Plus, we'll look ahead to what's in store for our Moto2 and Moto3 riders for this season. And Keith is back with his insider's guide as we gear up for Qatar. Uh, but before everything, I don't think it would be quite right to not touch on the uh, horrific acts currently going on between Russia and Ukraine. If you're feeling like you want to help or support Ukraine during this awful invasion by Russia in any way, that the Red Cross in the UK uh, have set up a crisis appeal and the link is on the screen now for you and will also be in the podcast description if you click on that it gives you a myriad of ways that you can help support or just find out more information and all our thoughts are with the people of ukraine during this uh, awful awful time um but today we'll carry on to talk more about moto gp this season as it is race week and we are gearing up for our first weekend just a few days away and uh pete actually might be worth coming to you first just on this um new sporting regs uh, were announced actually just after we'd released the podcast last week concerning red flag conditions and a slight tweak to these rules what do we know about this and, and why have they done that yeah just just a bit of tidying up really you can see all the all the details on crash shall we say but it was it was for specific circumstances where the race leader had already completed a lap and then you get a red flag and then it's sort of how far back do you do you count back for the final result so that's really what it's about it was already the case for if if the checkered flag had been shown the leader had taken the checkered flag and then there was a red flag so what they've done is just sort of tidied things up and made it so that that now applies to all red flag situations so yeah the, the details you can find on the website but basically it means it's a bit more consistent and it just takes away that doubt of of where do you you count the final result from when you get a red flag Significant, I think. I think it's a it's a tweak that's long time coming. It should have been a while ago. It's always confusing at the end of a race when you're trying to work out who'd cross the line, whether it's going to go back a whole lap or whatever it was going to do at that particular time. So I think significant, and uh, even though it's only really a minor tweak, it's uh, it's it's has a major result. It's a major clarification, I think. 
Mm, well, as uh, Pete says, all the uh, finer details are on the website, crash.net. Now, one of the big, actually, breaking stories as well to come out from the last week ahead of this weekend is uh, after a lot of speculation, we t- spoke about it a lot. We thought Davide Brivio might be coming back from Formula One. That doesn't appear to be the case anymore because Livio Supo uh, has been named as the new Suzuki MotoGP team manager. Keith, uh, what did you make of this one then? Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, Livio. I love Livio Supo. I think he's a tough character. He's He's got a great presence in the paddock, knows what he's on about. Uh, it be interesting to see how he gels with the rest of the Suzuki team. I think Brivio had got a very nice... Uh, he was embedded with Suzuki right across the board from the lowest technician. Sorry for using that word, lowest technician. That is not the way to speak, Keith Ewan. From any technician right the way through to the factory, um, and I think Livio Supo's got some work to do regarding that particular relationship, um, but he'll get there straight away. I rate Supo. I think this is a good appointment, and I think Suzuki needed someone that's quite strong in there, and I think Supo will fill that gap pretty well, from my own opinion. Yeah, well, titles, obviously, with Ducati and Honda, Pete. So he's got the pedigree, and I believe you reached out to him last year, and he said, well, he was keen. He was just waiting to see if he had the phone <laughs> That's it, yeah. I mean, as soon as we were all sort of surprised when Brivio left for Formula One, that's the first thing to say, isn't it? Suzuki, not least, was surprised. So, uh, yeah, he was the first person that sort of popped into my head as someone to contact. So I sort of immediately sent him a message, what do you think about this? And as you say, he certainly didn't rule it out, did he? He said, let uh, yeah, I mean, when he left the paddock, we should say, at the end of 2017, uh, you know, it was very much a never say never thing. And so, he, you know, it wasn't that he excluded the chance of coming back. He'd always been open. And I think this opportunity, as Keith says, factory team. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that Brivio and Super, they're, they're quite similar on paper. Italian, similar age, won titles with two different manufacturers, as you say, but completely different personalities, as Keith was saying. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Supo is going to give, I think, Suzuki a lot more firepower generally in terms of negotiations with riders, with sponsors, etc. Supo was the guy at Ducati that brought in Philip Morris, of course, when they when they created that team. I mean, Suzuki at the moment don't have a title sponsor. Um, Supo's got sort of a marketing background as well. So you wouldn't be surprised if he's able to also help the team in that way. So, yeah, I think it's a smart move, as Keith says, you know, it's going to help them across the board. And he's someone that, that he knows what he wants and he knows how to win and he's been there and done that, as Keith says. So I think, it, yeah, it's a good move. We don't know, you know, it's taken a long time, hasn't it? As you say, the, the, the phone call eventually came a year later. Um, we don't know exactly what has gone on during that time because Suzuki was saying by the end of last season, okay, we realise we do need a team manager. It seemed like they were close to a deal and then they, there was nothing and, and there was some sort of delay they didn't want to say who they were speaking to. It sounded like more than one person. Um, but anyway, the deal has been done and it's done in time for the start of the season. And that's the important thing because it was starting to get a bit, of a, you know, you think, well, how can a factory team, a MotoGP title winning team just a couple of years ago, not be able to find a team manager, you know, in this amount of time? So they've got that in place. His first priority, you've got to imagine, is to do the deal with Mir, isn't it? To try and keep him on board um, because... You know, those deals are being done now. We've seen Banyai. We spoke last week about Banyai's deal. So that will be one of the first things I think that, that he has to do. I don't think there's any previous negotiations that have gone underway between Supo and Mia. There's no baggage of any kind, shall we say. You know, it's not that, that, that they were in previous negotiations at Honda. Uh, I think that Mia's negotiations with Honda before he joined Suzuki, that was with Alberto Pooch 
who took over from Supo. So I think there's no issues there. I think that you know Supo can just come in, work with the right, and the same goes with Alex Rins and, and try and do these deals and things like that. So yeah, a big move for Suzuki. I think it's a, it's a, as Keith says, a, a good move for them all round. Experience of a satellite team as well, running satellite teams, I should say, as a factory. You know, he was there when Ducati started setting up, setting up satellite teams. He was at Honda. They had satellite teams. We know Suzuki is maybe looking at a satellite team in the future. So he can also help with that. So it's just across the board, someone with incredible experience and past success. So, yeah, good move. Good signing all round. Suzuki, when you think about it, I mean, they might have been talking to a lot of people, but there aren't that many people out there. Plus the fact it's difficult to leave the paddock. I think Supo's been away from the paddock long enough to make him want it back, you know, to want that kind of appointment as well. So good all round, good for the sport, good for Suzuki and good for the riders. And I reckon good for Livio Supo as well. Good news all round. Um, now, Quattararo, Banyaya, Martin, Zarco, Marquez, Espargaro, Miller, Binder, Oliveira, Mir. Those are all the names included on the Crash.net's uh, contenders for this year's title. That's a lot of names. Um, and you have to start, I suppose, with Fabio Quattararo, the reigning champion, who's got possibly the most uh, to, to get out of this year as well. And, and it's difficult, I suppose, Keith, to try and get a prediction in, as we uh, found last year. But looking at just some of those names and what we've seen from testing and how well people go around Qatar... What are you thinking for, for this season? We've, t- we've spoken about Ducati, obviously, have a, a huge amount of bikes on the grid as well. It's going to be a, a really tight tight battle. Hard to... I think I can't remember who said it first because it's been said many, many times. Winning a world title is easier than hanging on to one. Um, and that in itself sounds a little bit flippant, but it's a fact that to win a second world title back-to-back is, is, is not quite as easy as uh, some people might have you, you think. I think Wayne Rainey alluded to it years ago. By the way, Wayne Rainey signed for the Festival of Speed down at Goodwood. I'll be working down there during that weekend as well. And um, we've got some very exciting things coming up there. So hopefully we'll get a bit of a word with him for uh, Crash as well. So we'll we'll try and do something with Wayne for there. But there's a man who knew how to win multiple world championships. Things have moved on a bit since then. Wayne Rainey, Yamaha looked very, very dominant back in the day. They had obviously huge... Um, competition from Suzuki and from Honda back in the day too but now it's competition across the board the reason it's so difficult to to predict who's going to be world champion is because by the time we get to the end of this season we are going to have you know maybe maybe nine or ten winners again uh, during the course of the year so it's really it's about consistency it's about nailing that time that every single time you're out on a racetrack is getting the maximum points that you can with the bike you've got and the performance you're able to achieve at that time. And I think that's where Cotteraro scored real well during the course of the year. This year, I can see it being a bit more of a dogfight. I think there's a few, you know, there's, there's there's some real fight in some of the dogs that are going to be out there. And I think Bang Nair is looking, his performance last year, Ducati is looking really, really good. Then you've got the likes of Bastianini on the rails, coming up on the rails. I mean, Bastianini, who's to put out, uh, you know, a, a rookie type rider coming up and sort of the established everyone all the, the smart pundits are putting money on your Quattararos and so on and so forth but then you've got someone like Bastianini if he gets a good run at it early on staying injury free is another speculation that you've got to with with motorbikes I mean it's not like the Formula One stuff it's more about you know the mechanics of things and how a team has, has managed to put the, the season together with with bikes it's about not having an injury, carrying an injury mid-season. The, 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 the events are so close together during the course of the year. You get a, 
you know, even a strain or a sprain somewhere and it's going to affect your performance. I mean, these guys, by the time we get to mid-season, virtually the whole field are carrying an injury of some kind. And I predict as well this year, not before bloody time, that, that we're going to be a bit stricter on the odd bang on the head as well. I think that, that somewhere along the lines, there's been so much pressure that's been put from afar. Surely someone somewhere in Dorna, Erta, the FIM, are going to come up with a set of a strategy for people that have been concussed or suspect of concussion. This is something that's been, people have been slipping through the net over the last few years that really shouldn't slip through the net when it comes to head injury. So I think we might even have a little bit more emphasis on that. No one said anything. I haven't heard anything, but you can be sure they're all talking about it behind the scenes. So maybe that will come to interfere. The pandemic, is it done? You know, like, we, we, we look like we got rid of one pandemic. Now we've got a, a potential world war going on in the background. I mean, these are things not to be too flippant about. We don't know where this is all headed at this particular point. You know, this is serious stuff when somebody's, you know, talking as they were during the course of the weekend, Putin. I mean, how can you have a world leader talking about strategically manoeuvring his nuclear weapons into a state of readiness? I mean, what? I thought the world was mad before Putin has escalated things to the state that he's escalated in, whatever the reasons behind it. And I don't think any of them are justifiable from a personal point of view. But when somebody is a world leader is, is threatened, the, the biggest nuclear you know, armed country in the world is talking about that. I think we should all be a little bit shaky in our boots. I am, even at my bloody age. It's it's a scary time, isn't it? And it's it's not one to uh, to dismiss too flippantly uh, at all. And uh, you know, we, we lost a lot of races last year. Obviously, well, a couple of races last year due to COVID and, and and things being moved around again. So, Pete, that could certainly be another factor that we, that might come back because you know we've got we've got this thing going on in Russia, but also you know this pandemic is hasn't gone away. It's just sort of lessened, I suppose. Exactly, Harry. I mean, the the calendar we've got. It's supposed to be 21 races. They sound quite confident at the moment, Dorna, that they will have all those races. Now, I think of those, you've got five of them that haven't, five events that haven't taken place since the pandemic began. You know, you've got, it was a Sepang, Borough Argentina, Mategi, you know, the other one. Looks, looks the notes. And you've got two more, you've got Finland and Indonesia coming in. So I think it's about seven events, basically, that haven't been on the calendar for two years or, or have not been on the calendar at all. Now that changes the, the, the you know, the, the character of the calendar as well. When you look at those circuits like Mategi, Sepang, Borough Argentina, now Phillip Island is the other one, isn't it? You know, they're, they're power tracks, if you like, a lot of them. Now, you know, you've got... <laughs> I think it was Oliveira that said it, that these aren't, it isn't just a case of increasing the number of races. It changes the, you know, just the character of what sort of bike you need over a full season. When you just have a European season, you have races like Jerez, Le Mans, Mizano, those sort of tracks, the, you know, the traditional tight, twisty tracks. And, and then these newer tracks haven't been there. So I, I think, yeah, that, that is, it is worth bringing up, that it is going to change a little bit. It adds a more unknown. Remember, none of those tracks would have been used with the new Michelin rear tyre even. That was introduced for the start of 2020 as well. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many unknowns going into this season that, uh, yeah. It's, gonna... it's, a, it's another reason, another reason why Ducati have the advantage going into the year. Eight bikes out there on the track, all that data, brand new motorbike, brand new racetracks that, you know, they've not got enough data on. You get Mandalika, the Indonesian round, I mean, with the track breaking up, is that going to actually be a race at that time of the calendar you know is that track going to be up to spec are we going to arrive there and great big rocks are going to be flying out of it and we're going to have some kind of boycott when we get there that's not been answered yet 
you know, will it be moved later into the season? Well, we'll have to uh, wait and see on that one. I did actually speak to one of the people who designed that track. It doesn't have anything to do with the actual laying down of it, but uh, Mark Hughes, who designs a lot of tracks uh, and has done for many years, including the Abu Dhabi changes as well. And uh, at the time, I think when all the the threatened the threatening of, oh, we're going to have to move this race, he said, um, you know, it, it's already begun. We are already dealing with it. But how quickly and actually how much is happening on the ground, he couldn't quite confirm. So uh, that will still very much have to be a uh, uh, wait and uh, seen. Um, let's leave MotoGP there for a second and we'll come back to it and uh, have a look further into Qatar. I want to move on to Moto2 and Moto3, which I suppose we've sadly a little bit neglected over the last uh, couple of months, but uh, it is back in action. They've been testing as well uh, and they, of course, gearing up too to join in Qatar. Moto2, let's start with uh, Pedro Acosta, the wonder kid, set uh, the Portimao lap record, smashed it, ended two tenths faster than his teammate Fernandez as well on the, the final day. Um, is he going to do the triple and, and do this year, get the title and move straight into MotoGP? And then I think he's still got enough time to unseat Marquez as the youngest uh, MotoGP champion, if he can do it in that, uh, in that quicker fashion. Got to say, he's got that kind of style and talent that you you would you wouldn't bet against it. I mean, I've got to say that I've been like mega mega impressed with the way he's got straight on that Moto Two bike. He has got that kind of Marquez talent, and we saw the way he did magical things on the Moto Three bike. Even when he looked slightly out of control, he still had control of the of the thing. I mean, uh, he's got a special touch with the motorbike, um, and I can see that carrying through. I've actually. Because I knew you were going to ask later on, Harry, that we were going to have to start predicting who was going to do what Absolutely. this year. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. The impossible <laughs> task of trying to predict who's going to do what during the year. But I've actually got Acosta for winning Motor 2 this year. Oh. Well, you know what? <laughs> That's not going to be a, a completely surprising thing. But actually, the other thing on this that I wanted to bring up was this this uh, 16-year-old Fermin Aldeguer as well, who many a touting as could be... You know, another rival, 16-year-old. He finished fourth during testing. He won nine out of 11 races in the CEV European Moto2 Championship. So it might not be, Pete, complete plain sailing for Acosta. No, uh, I mean, not complete plain sailing. But again, you, you've got to work on the principle that he's just starting his Moto2 career and he's already this quick. He's not going to get slower. So, I mean, this is impressive. This is in many ways. We spoke When we spoke about Raul Fernandez a year ago and we were all... You know, highlighting the fact that Moto3 Grand Prix rookies, they've ridden a Moto3 style bike for years in, in the classes just below Grand Prix, whereas a Moto2 bike is, is, is something completely different. Well, Acosta's now come in, as Keith says, he's adapted to this bike almost immediately. He's, he's right up there at the top, breaking lap records, leading the official test. We've only had one official test, we should say. That's also why we haven't spoken much about Moto2 and Moto3, because this year they've only had one official test, and that was it at Portimao. So it's finished with Acosta fastest. And, and yeah, I think everyone knew he was going to be quick. Everyone knew he was talented. But I think even the people that, that, that rate him highly, you know, if you told them he's going to lead the official test, lap record pace already, I think they would have said, well, it'll take him a, a little bit longer than that. But... I mean, you, yeah, I think you've got to say he's, he's, he's one of the favourites going into the season already. He has to be considered um, as one of them. When you look also at the guys that have left the class, you know, you've got Gardner's gone and uh, Bezecchi's gone and Raul Fernandez is gone. So the guys he's got to beat, there's, there's sort of a bit of a, a gap there. There's no clear leader to step up, shall we say. And then you've got the rookie guy coming in now and, and already putting pressure on them. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've never seen a rookie 
Moto2 champion, we should just say. You were speaking about Marquez, Marquez's record in MotoGP. So Acosta could make a record this year as well. If he, you know, Ralph Fernandez, he got to the final round. Marquez also got to the final round in terms of the Moto2 title, but they both couldn't quite get there. So if Acosta does win the title this year, he'll be the first rookie to win that, that Moto2 class. Right back, I think, if you go to 250, back to Danny Pedrosa was the last guy, and that was in the two-stroke era. So, yeah, I mean, very impressive, very and impressive. And to pick up on what Harry said, I think, Pete, it's important. Could he do the triple? Could he go Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP? Got to remember that Moto3, Moto2 gap now is much bigger than it used to be. We've got the Moto2 is much closer technology-wise and performance-wise to MotoGP. So <laughs> he's more than halfway there if he's quick already. I suppose a, a, a quick word of caution, of course. Portugal, you know, pretty much knows the track, pretty much knows, you know, it's one of those situations where... It's a big wide world that we're going into with with uh, those Moto2 bikes, and uh, they have been known to bite just a bit. He ain't going to get away with some of the liberties he got away with on a Moto3 bike, um, and there are going to be some big names pushing and shoving. Uh, you know, I don't say it lightly when I think Acosta's going to win it, but he just looks special. You know, and that's the isn't it the wonderful thing about motorbike racing? You know, Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP. You can have as many predictions as you like. There are going to be so many people in it in the mix for winning races during the course of this year across all three classes just fantastic it just doesn't get any better and yet it does every year and looking at, at MotoGP the following year of course KTM have a problem there don't they they have too many riders yet again uh you know where would they put a cost if they can keep it and let's be honest you can bet that MotoGP guys we were talking about Livio Supo now Livio Supo when he was at Ducati and that's probably the closest comparison with the Suzuki situation isn't it not the the giant of Honda but being a small manufacturer like Ducati. And he was always one of those pe people that said, you've got to take a risk. You've got to do something different when you're, when you're a smaller manufacturer like that to try and beat the bigger guys, if you like. Uh, you know, look at him signing Casey Stoner, moving to Bridgestone Tires early. You wouldn't rule out Supo making a bid for Acosta or something like that. It would just fit with his character in the past. He put, he's the one who brought Miller through for Moto3. You know, he's, he's not afraid to take a big decision on, on, a, on a young rider that he thinks can, can do the deal. So the point being, KTM, they, they could have a fight on their hands for Acosta. And Ralph Fernandez, what's, the rumours are still there that, that Yamaha, okay, they had to pause their negotiations because KTM had the contract. But, I mean, if that contract finishes this year, do they then restart them in a few months' time? And... Maybe say, Raoul, the M1's still waiting for you. You know, there's uh, someone will have to leave if Acosta is to join KTM, certainly. You mentioned Yamaha. Yamaha always seem to be on the back foot on this sort of situation, don't they? When it comes to the hiring of, of, of top talent back through the depth, they never seem to quite get that right. They've been really fortunate their motorbike has suited uh, the likes of Quattararo, and he's he's been the leader for, for them for some time. But they're always a little bit behind. I noticed that as well this morning, Hervé Poncharol said this year's KTM is a massive upgrade on what they've done before. So they're, they're, they're a, it's going to be interesting to see what KTM managed this year. But when we get to Qatar, that's it. Cut-off time. Concessions, you know, for Aprilia only. Everyone else, that's the motor they're running for the rest of the year. There are only going to be minimal things that they're going to be able to do from a technical point of view for the rest of this year. I don't know. I think KTM have, have kind of just slightly missed the boat a bit with that. We'll wait and see. Interesting to hear that Hervé has said that this year's bike is a lot better. I haven't quite worked out whether that was PR speak or, um, or, or whether it's actual yet. You never quite know. So uh, a conversation with Hervé might be in order. <laughs> 
Either way, it looks like it's going to be a cracker of a season. Too. Yeah, I was just going to say, in, in terms of Yamaha, it looks like they are, and going back to Moto2, that they are trying to fill this gap that Keith's highlighted because they've got this master camp team, haven't they, with, with VR46 in Moto2 this year, running their young riders. I mean, it's the first step, but you know, is that the start of them really recognising that they do need to get these guys into the Yamaha family early? Strange situation with VR46, isn't it? You've got... But their test team and the the, the you know the the, the, the Raslan Razali team and all the rest of it that was all supposed to be in that ladder and it sort of yeah it worked really well for a year and then all of a sudden it went and fell off the edge of a cliff you know you you got Lorenzo who was supposed to be a test rider that, that I know the pandemic struck and, and and it was difficult to get that kind of stuff done but it didn't seem to gel it didn't seem to coordinate it didn't seem to come together for Yamaha to to push those people through that that ladder. So I don't know. Yamaha always seem they just seem to be on the back foot. Will this be the year that they pay for that? You know, will it finally? Will it be? Will Yamaha slip down that order this year because of their inactivity, their aggressive inactivity that's needed? Don't, you know, you talked about technology and, and and filling all the gaps. Well, Ducati, there ain't any gaps. They filled every gap that anybody could see. Delinia must sleep one hour a night, I think, with the stuff he comes up with and the rest of the team. There, it's not. It obviously isn't all down to Gigi, although he is, you know, the, the point of the of the massive pyramid they have when it comes to technical innovation. But and all the time, you, you know, when Quattararo said the MR isn't anywhere near like we want it to be, you know, straight away after, you know, we didn't see anything much different last year when we got to the end of season tests. Then we went to Sepang, slippery as hell and not the best the track for, 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 in my view, for representation for the rest of the year and then you went to Mandalika or whether it was chucking stones at each other so there was hardly any data that was gained from there that's going to be useful anywhere else in the rest of the world when we when we get to to Qatar for instance Qatar is going to be a dogfight never quite I always think that Qatar is one of those tracks that is it's not representative of the rest of the year but it is a really interesting racetrack to start off with it's always cleaner than you'd think it would be you know there's no sand all over it they've got really good kit there for getting the sand out the crevices so the track's always in pretty good nick when you get there provided it don't rain because they haven't got much drainage there to, to get rid of any real rain but but as far as all the other things and we're not so much in the middle of a desert anymore i mean the city has come all the way you know doha has extended sort of you know five ten miles out towards the track now and they're being surrounded by 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 industrial estates and housing uh, to, to, to cope with is it something to do with football I don't, know. I don't follow football much <laughs> something to do with some World Cup somewhere something like that <laughs> but well hang on hold hold those thoughts Keith because we'll we'll dive deeper into that when it comes to your insider's guide let's just round out Moto2 um, in terms of is there anybody outside of Acosta who we think can can mount a challenge and, and have a good year you know we've coming out of testing you know just on on the British side of things of course Jake Dixon saying he feels like he's got a good setup Sam Lowe says he, he needs to be more consistent if he wants to have a go at the title this year um, Aaron Cannett saying very satisfied after testing so there's a there's some good rumblings coming out from uh, from multiple riders. Well, I, th- I think you've, you've missed out on one there. I, I, I think the old Americans are, are, are back on the case. You know, I think Bobier looked pretty good last year. I mean, it, Joe Roberts, obviously, but, but Bobier came out of the States. I didn't think he would step up as well as he did. I think he, he, he was a, a bit of a dark horse last year. I think Bobier looked really good in some of those. And I think he's going to come with renewed vigour. And it just has that feeling about the Americans are coming again at the moment a little bit. There seems to be a, a little bit of a, a force at, at long last. I mean, I know I've already mentioned Wayne Rainey going to ride for the first time on his Grand Prix bike up the hill 
after 29 years. He's not, you know, Amazing, he's, yeah. he's obviously paralysed. That hasn't changed. Um, but he's going to ride up the Goodwood Hill. I mean, I'm tingling at the very thought of seeing Wayne Rainey on a motorbike again, you know, in that situation. I just, oh. Anyway, book back your, to today your, rather than being now. Well, actually, Keith, just on this, Nathan has asked, do you see Cameron Bovier getting a MotoGP seat? I think he showed glimpses of real speed last year, and I think he will outperform Joe Roberts this year too. Can he fill the American void for Dorna despite his age? Yeah, I think he can. I mean, I think the ageism thing is a... Is a poorly thought out situation i mean what is he now 29 something like that he's you know i can't remember exactly what he was but but the the, the point being is ageism is a terrible thing and with with the age the starting age about to change um because of the the injury situation the the, the scale is about to move up a little bit um and i think that it's it's unwise to exclude good talented riders just because they're reaching a certain age i think that you know there's been this massive rush to sign up people at a very young age and guess what the americans were the worst for that you know they would always sign up a young motocrosser for road racing when they were like very 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 young i mean freddie spencer they had him under contract really early on it's always been a thing it's just that we didn't see so much of it in what was really a european championship the world you know, the Grand Prix World Championship back in the day was a European World Championship. We didn't go to America. We didn't go to Japan. Um, we were just skirting around our little bit in Europe. And, and of course, we didn't see much of that uh, youngster business because we were all quite elderly compared with nowadays um, when you went to a Grand Prix. Um, so I think that Bobier's age won't have anything to do with it. He's got a good attitude. He's fast. He's with a good team. They seem to be right behind him. Um, so it's going to be an interesting year for Bobier and for Joe Roberts, I think. But I think Bobier, I think Bobier stole a bit of thunder from Joe Roberts last year. I think Dorna would love to have an American racer back, wouldn't they, as well in the paddock? I mean, we, we know that Joe Roberts had the chance of the Aprilia seat, didn't you know? And he turned it down. He wanted to show that he could win races in Moto Two, and I, and I guess for Bobier that would be the, his aim. You know, if he can get on the podium, a, a win would be ideal. I think people would say, look, you know. You've proven enough. You've been a champion in, in Superbike in America. You know, you've now proven you can be at the front of Moto2. You're ready. You're ready to go up to MotoGP and, and back to a bigger bike. Let's remember, going back to a bike, 1000cc, having been a Superbike rider. So we saw, didn't we, at Cota last year, that first glimpse of when Bobier knows the circuit already. And he was, you could see that he, he made that, that step compared to arriving at a brand new track, not knowing anything about it. And if he can do what he was doing at Cota, you know, be at the sharp end, really, from, from free practice, and he can do that this year from Qatar onwards, then, then definitely he has a good chance. I think, um, you know, Aldiguer, as you say, the, the, the kind of the, the plus or minus is that, that speed up or Boscoscuro, as they call it now, chassis, isn't it? Which will probably be an advantage at some tracks over the Calyx and not an advantage at some others. But so, when it's an advantage, he certainly, if he can keep this form up, he could surprise and make the most of it. I guess a bit like we were talking Bastianini and MotoGP, you know, when the package works, and we're pretty sure that it will work at some tracks, maybe more than the others, I think it's the same with Moto2 with the speed up. It tends to outperform the Calyx at some tracks. If he can tap into that, he could surprise, yeah. He could surprise. Well, I think a lot of people could surprise. Tom King is actually asked, seeing how testing has gone for the Brits in Moto2 and Moto3, where do you see these guys placing throughout the season? Sam Lowe's, Jake Dixon, Scott Ogden, Joshua Waitley, John McPhee, of course. I think that testing is testing. I mean, I think that you, you, you know, you learn much more when we start getting to proper racetracks at proper time of the year. You know, the, the focus is completely different. 
you know, in the vision track situation, I think the, the boys have done a brilliant job. I mean, Michael Laverty, I mean, he's just, he's a phenomenon. Uh, and you wouldn't guess it if you ever sat and talked to him because he seems like just such a nice... He, he does calm... only sleep one hour a night. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's got to. That's all. I'm, I've already said it. There's, there's three Michael Lavertys in the world that um, we only get to meet one of them at any given time. And they're all working different time zones, obviously, to make it all work. But Vision Track have done a good job. They've got the boys out on track. Stuff looks good. Let's take the pressure off them a little bit and let them get into their first year, both managerially and and obviously for the for the riders as well. But I think that you know, looking at the the, the Brits, Jake Dixon's got a lot to do this year, and he's got to step up. He's got to make this work for him this year if he can. I think it's good that he stayed in, and that they he's got that opportunity to to make it work again. Um, but testing, I, I just I'm so wary of testing. I'm, I'm almost negative towards testing. I think it almost ought to be done behind closed doors because. It's one of those situations, particularly this year, there hasn't been that much testing. You know, there just hasn't been that much mileage. And you're always on racetracks that are at a different time of the year when the weather is either cooler or, you know, most, mostly cooler. But you've got humidity problems you've got in Malaysia at the, at the time of the year where we're talking MotoGP that, that makes a difference. I just think the testing is great to blow the cobwebs away and to, 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 to run the gear you've got and to make sure everything installation-wise works and that the team gel together and everybody is has re-established themselves in that, that that team environment. I think it's a good thing from that point of view. But it has a bearing on the season, but not as big a bearing on the season, I think, as, as some would, would have you think. Um, so we'll wait and see. But I think that from from my perspective, Vision Track, give them a, give them a go, give them a chance. Don't expect too much too soon from, from the riders or the team. This is a big deal stepping in at this level. You know, they, they really have walked the plank and they're about to go splash. And I think it, it will be remarkable if they get good results from the get-go. Huh, let's hope they do, but be a big deal if they do. <laughs> and just to add a little bit about, about Dixon, I, I, I asked Wilco Zielenberg, people might have seen the story on Crash, just about what he thought of Dixon when he had those MotoGP appearances last year, you know, and, and he said, yeah, you know, they were, they were impressed by what he did. They said, look, you can't expect someone to just step into MotoGP and, and be, you know, battling in, inside, you know, the top six or something. I mean, so Zielenberg, who's a very experienced team manager, a former rider, you know, he, he was impressed by what, by what Jake did. You know, he, the pace was there. He got unlucky with the tyre choice at Silverstone, unfortunately fell off early at Aragon but let's hope that he can have this solid year he needs a podium doesn't he you know he's been long overdue when he fell off what he was leading was it Le Mans a couple of years ago in Moto2 it's such a shame you know if he he needs to get on that podium the first step and then because we see he's got the pace and I think if he can start to get the results and build some momentum then uh, you know hopefully he could be the next uh, the next British MotoGP. Well, Moto2, Sam Lowe's has got a struggle going on as well, hasn't he? Tendonitis, he's, that's a problem that he's really, really raising its head as well. So Sam Lowe's is, is starting the season in trouble. Um, you've got to question how this year is going to go for Sam. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a definite make or break year, I think, for him. Um, but if you've got an injury, that's what I was saying right early on at the beginning of this conversation, that the injury is going to be the key to any chance of winning a world title or, or, or being consistently up there. If you are carrying an injury at the level of racing, at the level of performance they're at, it is going to knock the edge off. And the likes of Sam Lowe's, bless him. He will chuck everything at it and add an injury on top of an injury in trying too hard when you've got something that's holding you back that naturally you can't overcome. You've got to see your way through it. You, you can't, you know, if you're carrying something that's, that's limiting your performance, 
you can't you can't override to the point where you're going to compensate for that it just doesn't work that way it's, a, it's an impossible thing but sam and alex to some extent his brother you know they they will push beyond limits to get somewhere and sometimes that costs the pair of them i think alex has tuned it out a little bit but um sam still has even at his age i mean he's, he's you know he's, he's late 20s now how old is sam now 30s. If you hold on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, this is the time. Out. Time goes past so fast. This bloody pandemic has taken two years out of us and he, moved us down the road such a way. I've kind of forgotten how old yeah. people are now. He's, you, he's you 31. 31. 31. There you go. He's just in his 30s now. Well, he's at an age where normally, you know, you have a normal restriction to riding to, to your limit. But I think Sam has still got, he's not had that limit. That's never been there with Sam. He will he will find the limit and then try and step over it to gain that extra half yard into a corner and pick up another injury. And I, I just hope he can start this season slightly better in order than, than he actually is or, or is reported to be because of this tendonitis business that he's suffering at the moment. I mean, that if Sam can, as you say, you'd have to solve all this inconsistency and the injury problems but that's really the strength he's got is the experience isn't it when we named all these riders they're, they're sort of guys with very little experience or rookies and if sam can put the you know use his strength which is his which is his experience in the class isn't it and, and being what is he a nine-time race winner in motor two now you know if, if he can get that consistency hope that these new guys just you know, with their inexperience, they just in bit, you know push the limits a bit too far. If he can get that stable season together, you know he really does have a chance. But you do worry, as you say, Keith, to be to be already he missed part of the, the last day of testing, didn't he, with this tendonitis? You know, what sort of state, what sort of condition is he going to be in for Qatar? It, it, nobody wants to be starting on the back foot because we see in all these championships that quite often the the people that are leading after five six races. They're still there at the, at the end of the year at the top, aren't they? It, it, it's that early momentum that, that tends to sort of really count. So, yeah, fingers crossed for Sam. Well, you know, let's slip back to Moto3 if we can then, because we haven't mentioned our favourite Scott, have we? The Oban man. I mean, I, John McPhee for the win in Qatar. Yeah? There you go. Go on then. <laughs> I, no, John McPhee for the win in Qatar. I just think John McPhee, he, like Sam, when he wins, he looks like he should be doing it every weekend. You know, it's a, it's he's a quality rider, and if he can, McPhee must have the shittiest luck of any rider I've ever. And I know you make your own luck to a great extent in in bike racing, but honestly, you could go through a catalogue of things of why McPhee should have won. And I just feel that that this I mean, again, we talk about you know, Sam. It's a make or break year for for John as well. He's got to do the business this year. Because there's this logjam of, of, of great little young riders that have now come in. And, and even the ones we don't really know about that have come into the scene, they're going to be performing well. You can be sure of that. We might not have heard of them in Grand Prix, but they've been bubbling away in CV, even Italian championships and, and everything else, ready to, to give us a, a brilliant show during 2022. So McPhee's going to step up. I, I, you know, but I think Qatar... I just had the feeling he's something about being in the dark. Maybe that's because he comes from Scotland. Sorry, boys. <laughs> <laughs> he's used, yeah, used to that. Good in the wet, though, you should think as well. But um, there is that. But yeah, but I mean, was it was it US, was it Texas last year where he very nearly won, but then they went back on the red flag and he still got a podium, didn't he? But uh, after the huge incident that involved uh, Onchu as well, also Onchu, he's back. He could be another title contender. Um, 
Pete, because uh, again, there's another article up on Crash Back the Moto 3 title contenders. McPhee's in there. Who else is on your list? Obviously, you've got to put Fozier up there as well. I, I should just give credit to that list to Robert, my colleague, actually. But uh, <laughs> so, yes, I, I, I you, won't well his, his glory on that. But yes, please go and read Robert's uh, Robert's list. He's did, did on Saturday, I think it was. So yeah, he's done a good job of those. Um, I, I think you can't, you know, Foggia, the, the Leopard guys, you've got Foggia, you know, obviously title runner up. So on paper, He's, he's the top qualified guy, isn't he? He's staying with the team. He had a, he had a great run, you know, in the second half of the season especially. He was you know, closing down Acosta. If it hadn't been for that sort of losing so many points in the first half of the season, it could have turned out differently. You've got Suzuki who's come across as his teammate, and he was also fast in testing as well. So I think those are two guys straight away that you've got to think are serious title contenders in terms of the experience and the speed, that, that mix of both of those qualities. Um, Migno was a bit of a surprise, uh, you know, you know the, the Italian veteran that the sort of, uh, he's never done, is he? He always pops back up and digs deep again, but can he do it over a season? Uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But you, it's a bit like with the, the IO team in Moto2, the Leopard team, isn't it? You've always, the, the, the team always seems to have something. Those bikes are so quick on the straight, aren't they? And uh, yeah, so I think, you know, you've got to look at those sort of, the, the people that were up there last year. Masia and Garcia have got to be in there as well. But I think that, that I love the to-in and fro-in you get with Moto3 uh, as the factories find that one horsepower more or a slightly wider range. You know, One year it'll be KTM or a derivative of KTM that are going well. Then it will be Honda that managed to find something a little bit more at certain tracks. I love the way the regulations have, have kept two manufacturers so tight when it comes to performance it's uh it's been a fantastic class moto 3 that's for sure but i reckon foggia for the win for the year if he can start his season as he as he did and then really after that i mean who can predict moto 3 chuck all the names in there it, it certainly provided a lot of action last year and sometimes though not for all the good reasons but do we think that you know with these new regulate tweaked regulations and you know perhaps increased scrutiny especially on on the moto three riders do you think we'll see a, a slight change in in how, how how they go racing this year keith you're shaking your head you got no absolutely chance not. absolutely no <laughs> bloody chance you know we're talking about guys they're all very very good at what they do they're all very competitive and they're all very young when you're very young <laughs> it takes away any element of caution you may have uh, at all um do you know the strangest thing Please don't slam me for this because it's it's not all about me. But I remember what it was like to race a motorcycle when I was young. You never even gave the danger, the possibilities of it a thought. Everything was done all, virtually by instinct. You know, you've done a load of miles on your motorbike. You know, you know it like the extension of your arm or your foot. There isn't anything you do that you think about. It's it's all absolutely, apart from strategy, obviously strategy is important in a race. But as for riding a motorcycle and taking the opportunity as it presents itself at that speed, it's all done without thinking. It's a, it's a reflex. It's not, it's not, you know, <laughs> you arrive at a corner with a strategy to pass somebody. It's if that pass becomes available, you set yourself up for it. You're looking for it all the time. And tripping over somebody else or an accident that's happened two bikes in front of you will still happen. You know, we can't, I can't see how they're going to dial that out of it. Um, 
as these motorcycles are so close and so tight in performance, you didn't see it so much in the past because there was such a wide gap in performance of motorcycles or riders, if you look back at it. But now that we've got all three of our classes, Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP, so tight in performance, so tight in quality, you're going to have accidents, excuse me, where um, where you know people are unsighted. We get back to the technology side of things again, where the second group, with luck, will have better warning when they're going to trial this new system for lights on bikes and you know lights in helmets or whatever they end up um, bringing to us this year as a secondary precaution. You're still going to have lights and flags on the side of the track, which are going to obviously operate much quicker than they have done in the past. Um, but it's still not going to fix the, the group you're in. Somebody gets it wrong in the middle of a group, down you're all going to go. You know, it's it's about that secondary group keeping them safe from getting caught up in an accident that is just a, a blink of the eye ahead of them. I, I think that's that's what we're we're all looking towards at the moment. But uh, it's going to be mayhem in Moto3 as usual. And may they all stay safe and may they all give us the kind of racing that we've always had in Moto3 of recent years. It's just brilliant. I mean, you know, all three classes, it wouldn't matter if you didn't have MotoGP and Moto2. Moto3 is good enough, thank you. <laughs> Is the way I see it. Well, yeah, it certainly did provide lots of action, and we'll be following it all throughout the year as well. Pete, sorry, you made a move there. I cut you <laughs> off again. All sorry. I was going to say was that, as far as you said, you've got the racing side, but as far as stopping the reckless stuff, like looking for toes and being silly, I think it'll be really important for race direction in Qatar to really come down hard the first chance they see. Because if the riders sense that, oh, maybe you can get away with something, they'll do it. So I think as soon as someone steps out of line, which will happen at some point in Qatar, race direction are going to have to be straight onto it with a pretty severe punishment to just stamp out any thought that, all oh, right, we can do that, can we? You know, I, I think that's going to... They, you, run, you run into the difficulty, Pete, don't you? Consistency. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, is consistency. We've not seen rules applied from the outside here as a consistent situation or the explanation that's gone with them. And I think that is the, the point that he's making. If it's inconsistent, you're still going to try it. Even if you know it's wrong, you're still going to try it if it's not a consistent situation. If you're not, if draconian rules are not applied every single time, then you are going to still try it because you're going to block that. You know, no one's going to stop racing because it, they might get a penalty. They're only going to really stop the performance, you know, those dodgy type maneuvers if you are going to get a penalty every time, is how I see it. And it's worth just saying that before that because it's the first race of the year they do obviously the, the the photos don't they those sort of class photos but also all of the classes meet with race direction don't they they all get a bit of a speech from uh, you, you know race direction and things like that in qatar that's normally what happens so they're going to have to pretty much do as keith says here and just point out look we'll be consistent we'll be as we finished last year so we'll be consistently harsh and just make sure that the guys understand that going because with short memories they'll be oh what do we, what do we do last year what could we do you know yeah don't yeah. remember that <laughs> bring back corporal <laughs> punishment <laughs> <laughs> there's the clip and that's the clip there we go um <laughs> when was that 45 minutes in delightful um well it's we will we will of course be following all the moto to moto three action as well this season and uh, as as Keith and Pete have said sometimes that was uh, the more entertaining of of the classes, but together it's going to be one hell of a weekend in Qatar in the opening round. Keith, let's look ahead then to this weekend, the LaSalle circuit. We're back under the lights in the dark. What can you tell us about Qatar? 
I really, really enjoy being in Qatar. No, actually, that's wrong. I really enjoy being at the Qatar Grand Prix. Qatar itself is is not perhaps. I mean, they've got five star hotels. We're all living in in luxury, um, and of course, there are a lot of people that don't live in luxury in Qatar. That goes against the grain for quite a lot of people um, being in that kind of regime. If you can ignore that and just look at the sport, you know, you drive out of your hotel, and every traffic sign that you come across is facing different directions, the wrong directions. You can't find your way. You, you've almost got to have a, a sixth sense as to where you're going to go because there's been that much in the way of development done there. Everything is a building site and it's all temporary signs everywhere and temporary junctions and temporary roundabouts. All of that pretty much has, has started to move away now. So the drive into the track has always been through this desert that with masses amounts of, of buildings going on either side. And as you get closer to the track, they get less and less. So you find yourself at the racetrack massive expanse no trouble getting in at all because there's nobody there i think the biggest crowd they've ever had is something like eight thousand people trackside can't see it being any more than that again during the course of this year so if you're if you're out there if you work out in the in the in the middle east then uh, it's the race to go to because it's a fantastic place to go and you kind of get used to being that if, if you're like me uh, and, and don't like getting up in the morning it's a fantastic you have a lay in bed breakfast is at midday you kind of trundle along to the track in the afternoon and and they have these kind of bivouacs and things like that in in the paddock it's quite a nice environment in the paddock um there's no there's not thousands and thousands of people it's not like being at Mizano or somewhere like that with a paddock's full of anybody that's managed to get older paddock passes anywhere it's quite a quite a nice environment so you get an opportunity to talk to people without being accosted by by anybody riders are quite um lucid they're, they're, you're able to get older people when you want them so from a journalistic point of view it's great fun um the racetrack, as I said a little earlier in the conversation, is always clean, which is unusual for a track that's based somewhere in, the, in what is literally a, a massive, you know, expanse of sand or similar. And uh, they've, they've got like these, these quad bikes with massive great jet blowers on the back of them. So they blast all the crap out of the, the crevices, which is always the problem with a, with a dusty track. It's not that the surface is not clean. You know, you can sweep a surface clean. But, you, but the, 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 when you've got a motorbike travel or a car or whatever it might be, traveling over the track, it sucks all the crap out of the, the cracks in the tarmac and you end up with that then being the, the surface for a while. So you end up having to do 20 laps before you've got a line on a racetrack that, that actually works. But Qatar is always, the, the Qataris do a really good job of keeping the track nice and clean. There is no atmosphere. Quite, when, you, when you arrive at the track, you know, the sun's out, it's baking hot, dry heat, um, and it is not a pretty looking place, it's got to be said. There are poles sticking out of the ground and you know, with the lights on the end of it. But as we get to the dusk side of things and the lights come on, motorbikes, anything racing around a racetrack with the glistening lights on the side of it is a fantastic atmosphere, really, really. The bikes shine. You look at photographs that are taken, that are taken you know, under the lights and they just sparkle, they look wonderful. So the atmosphere picks up, even though there's no one at the track. When it gets dark, it's great. But unfortunately, not everyone can, can have the privilege of starting in the dark when it comes to free practice and the like. You're in that transition period where the sun's up and slowly but surely the sun goes down as we get to MotoGP time later in the day. So Friday and Saturday is a, you know, not an easy, easy time. Then when you've got the actual race day, of course, you've got that dew point, which is the point at which the, the, the heat of the ground and the cool of the air start to meet and you end up with this you know 
you've done it many times you come out to your motorbike and it's got this film of water across the top of your saddle you know your seat is covered in 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 in, in what looks like water well you get that in these countries where where the temperature differential when you get to a certain point at night so you cannot get beyond that time sometimes the dew point they can accurately predict when it's going to come sometimes it comes a few minutes earlier and that's when you get a problem at somewhere like qatar um, and you can't run on into the night you know it's so you, you need to get your racing done by a certain time or there is no racing you're going to be coming back the next day but the qatar grand prix is a really interesting one to start if you forget about the politics and human rights and all the other bits and pieces i know most of us can't forget about that but if you can ignore that and just look at the the actual sporting event itself it's a great event it's a good event i always enjoyed being there for that event um it's unusual um, doing something in the night your whole bodily regime changes and that too is tricky from a rider's point of view they they have a set way of going about their racing they get up at a certain time they eat a certain thing they exercise in a certain way they walk the track at a certain time of day qatar throws all of that out it's it's like being in a different time zone and racing in in in, in the dark is unique great great atmosphere well, I'm, it's on the list. I need to go and uh, check it out. No, you need to go to them all, Harry. <laughs> They're well, all great. The plan, but they don't let you track side anymore, do they? Can't get, I can't get there. Dorna, Dorna will let you track side. I'm sure they will. Hey, Dorna, In fact, if you're my, my DHL pass, my DHL, I'm waiting for drop it, hide it, lose it, to deliver me my pass, um, <laughs> which is scheduled for today. I just got the, uh, oh. I got the notification on my brand new iPhone. We're not sponsored by them, but yeah. No, we're not. I dropped mine down the toilet on Saturday. <laughs> so Wait, my so new one has you, arrived. Are you going to be at some of the tracks this year? Yeah. Ah. Oh. Well, not not for any uh, not for any meaningful reason other than the fact I like motorbike racing. Yeah, no, I know, but you know, just you put put, put a few good words in, Keith, and uh, and and I'll join you there. Well, what? Um, if, <laughs> as long as you don't expect a free ticket to fly out there, then because um, I'm I'm paid oh, to go. Yeah, it's not like I'm being oh, paid yeah. to go anywhere. It's just, oh, yeah, yeah you can't miss out on Magello or or Misano or you know. I actually haven't said that. I think I do. I, I might miss out on those two because I, I I I feel slightly sickly when I see the VR46 Mooney. Um, there's no way that Drudy did the did the paint job on the on Valentino bike this year, is there? Let us know what it you was... think on that. That's a crash crash um, competition because I think they look terrible. There is a, there's a video on the Crash MotoGP YouTube channel as well, having a look at the uh, livery a little bit closer up. It's certainly, um, well, probably a bit like Marmite, isn't it? It's not going to be for everybody. <laughs> so let us know exactly what you think about that. Uh, but they, of course, launched their livery. Uh, now, we are running out of time, but before uh, we end, it is time to bring back our 2022 predictions. Need I remind you that this race last year, race one, Peko Bagnaia on pole. Maverick Vinales won it, Zarco second, and Banyaya third. Now, I hope you've done your homework on this. And those watching, please leave your podium one, two, three in the comments below. And uh, we'll have a look and see what we're all thinking at the start of the year. Pete, let's come to you first. <laughs> Pierre, your predictions, please. I mean, it's like pulling names out of the hat, isn't it? You know, I mean, but oh, I could well, give yes. you what, but but that's you know what, that's great. 
for this for, for this opening round because normally, as we said before, you go into Qatar having done at least one test. Last year they did two. They'd done five days of testing. It was pretty clear who was fast, who wasn't, what tyres they were going to use, and everything else. Of course, a race is a race. You never quite know what's going to happen then. But but basically, most of Friday was was just a format. Are format. you making excuses, Pete? Are you making excuses? I'm going to give you my, who I think. <laughs> but I think there's... No, this is, this is reasons to watch the race. Because normally, as I say, for me, the Friday of Qatar is a bit, well, they've done five days of running. This year they haven't. There's been no no Motor Two, no Motor GP. I know Keith says the track is going to be clean, but it's going to be green. There's going to be no rubber down, and the grip is going to change. And that's one reason why it's going to be hard to predict. We've had F1 there. What's F1 done to the track? We've seen tracks get bumps. You know these kind of things. The tarmac change after an F1 race. That's another reason. The start time is earlier. The start time is 6 p.m. Keith will be pleased to know. He won't have to wait up late tonight, late into the night. So it's only going to be barely after sunset. Motor 3, Motor 2, they'll be in full daylight. But again, that also means that the, the track sessions at night, they'll only be FP2 and then qualifying. So they're only going to have a limited amount of time that's actually at the same time as the race. So it's going to be great because you're not going to know who's going to win. Now, that being said, I just fall back to the fall back to the <laughs> favourite, Mark Marquez. I'm going to say him because I think the Honda is a better bike this year oh, wow. and I think Mark will raise his game and he'll be up there. I think the Ducati will be up there again, so I'll put Bagnaia second. And Quattararo, you know, he, he won the second race, didn't he? He didn't win the first. As you say, it was a Yamaha 1-1. There were two races last year. So I'll say Quattararo in third. But as I say, really, we, with all of those reasons, I think that... It's going to change so much. I think we could see tyres even. As the grip changes, someone who qualifies badly might go, you know what, I think the track grip level, we could now run that tyre that we couldn't even dream about running on Friday because there's more grip. Take a punt on it and you could get someone to do well. Going back to someone like Bastianini, we've said him before, he's another one up there. These guys have to impress now. If they want to be factory Ducati riders next year, Bastianini, Martin, they, they can't be thinking consistency. Let's just get some points. It's not going to work. So I think this, anything could happen. And I think it's going to be exciting right from FP1 on Friday. Have uh, Crash.net um, changed their revenue, uh, their, their, <laughs> their employment terms? Is it, are you getting paid by the word? <laughs> <laughs> Always the way, Keith. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the phrase? Keith's jealous, that's why. Why use a picture when a thousand words will do? Well, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> You will want a picture of me then. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So Pete has gone for Marquez, Bagnaia, and Quartararo. Interesting. Fabio. Fabio. It's I interesting because I've gone for the same three, but in a slightly different order. I'm amazed at that, Pete. Ooh. I mean, it's. I won't say great minds think alike because you know both of us are going to be wrong. <laughs> and Joanne Zarco is probably going to do one of those jobs that he does quite often and, and come flying through because we've seen Zarco lead at Qatar when no one expected him to do it. If you go back to Tech Three on the Yamaha back in the day, so I'm going Bagnaia, Quartararo, Marquez. That's me. Bagnaia first, Quattararo, and who was the last one? Marquez. Marquez, okay. I feel a bit stupid for not including Marquez. Well done, because you'll probably be the winner. <laughs> so I've gone, I've gone for a Bagnaia win. I've gone for a Quattararo P2. And I, I, I picked up on, Zarco is usually quite good mm. out at, the start, at yeah. the start of the year. And he was last year. He was, my, he was my title pick before he faded away. But I think he still starts strong. So I'm going to put him for third on the podium. So Bagnaia, yeah. Quattararo and Zarco is going to be I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a daft pick no. at all, Harry. I think that's oh. a good... Uh, 
He's improved a year on, and he's improved. <laughs> it still says Quartararo there, but we'll forgive. Uh, <laughs> Fabio, Fabio, Fabio. Um, okay, well they are locked in. Let us know in the comments as well what your top three are. We'd love to have a look at them and uh, see uh, who we're all uh, backing for uh, this season. Of course, it's we're in a very luxurious position where you really can't predict. You just can't. It could be a, an absolute myriad of riders ending up on the podium, um, but it's not long uh, till we get to see all the action unfold back on track that just about does it uh, Keith and Pete thank you very much as ever we are officially back now once a week for the next lord knows how long but we're here for every single race this season um so we'll be back this time next week for more MotoGP chat looking back at everything from Qatar and we'll know um a lot more about uh where the riders stand i think in the standings and, and how the teams are doing in the meantime you can keep up to date with all the very latest on crash.net um and we will see you next week any questions get them in all the usual ways by now i hope you know how to do that tweet instagram facebook just search crash moto gp leave us a review if you like us wherever you get your podcasts from and we'll be right back here next week enjoy moto gp it's back in qatar this weekend bye-bye 